following is a message from Axe Church Lakeline, a church located in Northwest Austin, Texas. For more information and other messages, please visit us at axechurchlakeline.com. Luke 22, verses 61 and 62. It reads this, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter, remembering the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. We'll talk more about that in a couple of minutes. But I want you guys to do something. Um, Does anyone... Well, let's not ask it that way. Uh, everyone pull out your phone, right? And do the fun thing that none of us admit to doing. But a lot of us end up doing, right? Pretend you're walking into You're alone right now. You're walking into a meeting or an interview or a date or something like that. And you do this thing. You, took the, you turn it around on yourself and you kind of look in. Is there anything on the teeth? Is there anything on my nose? How's the hair looking, right? Has anyone else done this? Please say yes. Okay, okay, there's like three people nodding their heads. That's great. Well, what I want you to do right now is to, oh, I've got a great background. If I did it this way, it'd just be lights. But for here, I've got a great background. I want you guys to take a real quick selfie, okay? And not like, however you want to, but you know, make it look good, right? Can we get more? <laughs> yeah, if you need to, no, seriously, like, if you need to stand up and get a background where it's backlit and, like, play around with that, please do that. You have 20 seconds for this. Sorry, Colin, I didn't tell you about that. Whoops. And 20. All right, that's perfect. Way to go. For, for some of you, that was your first time into the selfie experience, and um, you're the only one. Uh, there's that. <laughs> yes, hello, son. Um, we'll get back to that later, but we're going somewhere with this. Uh, today is hope when you're filled with guilt. And um, that, that moment, who knows, I, I just read two verses of it, but who knows what happened right before that moment? This is interactive. Right? Does anyone remember? Well, if you're too timid or don't remember, I'm going to read it for us, okay? So, so this is a moment, it's um, right after Jesus has been betrayed. John is... Uh, John, no, Peter is, is uh, looking at Jesus, and Jesus looks at him. And, and like it said, it's, he said, the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered what the Lord had said. It's like, hey, the, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And he went away and wept bitterly. Before that, before that had happened, um, well, before a lot of that had happened, Jesus was kind of a normal guy, right? I mean, he wasn't normal, but he was a normal guy. 
We don't hear much about his childhood or his teenage years or even his 20s. Uh, but, but he had a job. He, he worked with his hands. Most likely he worked with his hands because that's what his father did. He interacted. He had cousins. He had siblings. He had a mom and a dad. He was kind of a normal guy. Until, but, but God had a plan for him. You guys know this. Uh, God had a, a plan for him. And, and when he started his ministry at 30, uh, he, there, there something happened, right? People started coming around him, okay? And, and we know that they came around him because it's recorded in Scripture and, and outside sources tell us about, about Jesus, and that doesn't just happen for a normal person. And, and there were lots of different types of, of groups of people around him, right? Like he was okay talking to the religious people, uh, or he was, let me say this, he was comfortable. He had a, some special judo moves that he did with them, logically and theologically. Uh, he was comfortable talking to the military people and leaders of the day. He was comfortable talking to the Jewish people of the day, the Gentile people of the day, the Samaritan people of the day, uh, men and women, old and young, children, I'm guessing probably some babies. He was good at parties, right? He was the guy you wanted to go to the party with you. He was the guy you wanted to come visit you when you were sick. All sorts of crowds were around Jesus. At one point, uh, we have, we have uh, him feeding 5,000 people. And the way they counted it back then, not right, whatever. But they counted it, that's 5,000 guys. And so we have to like extrapolate from that. Oh, what if they had their families there, their, or their wives and their kids? What did that look like? I mean, think about that. If there's 5,000 dudes, there's probably like 10, 15,000 people there. There were crowds following Jesus. And sometimes the crowds were big, and sometimes they were really small, and sometimes he really tried to retreat away from the crowds. And then he had a smaller group of followers, some unnamed disciples. Some of them get names later, and they show up in these stories that we find in our Gospels. And sometimes they put numbers with them. Oh, these are the 72. These are the people that followed him. It seems like there's a, a group of people that follow him that aren't the 12 disciples, but then there's there's the 12, right? And they have names, and we, we know about them, and we hear their stories, and when they're, we put their foot in their mouths, and when they're just following, and some of us might have wondered, what would it have been like to have been one of the 12? I wonder that. So much of Jesus' teaching isn't in a format like this. It's in like a life format where you're just going and doing life. Uh, and there's a wonderful meme that is becoming more and more true that I've realized it's, what was the bigger miracle? Have you guys heard this one? We might have talked about this one. Uh, what's the bigger miracle? Jesus turning water into wine or a thirty guy in his 30s having 12 close friends, right? All of you should not be laughing right now. <laughs> you and you, we should be laughing because we're like, oh, what happened? <laughs> it's not as easy as it was. That's just a meme, right? But 12 close friends. But then, uh, just like David, David's one of my favorite biblical characters. He, when he was on the run, he went to a cave, the cave of Adalam, and he took these interesting people, the people that were in debt, the people that were rough around the edges, the people that were, some of them were outlaws, and he gathered them around, and he essentially created an army in a cave. And then he had 30 people, and they were called the mighty men, like tights, tights. Oh, perfect timing. 
But then David had his three. He had the three as well. And Jesus, he also had the three, Peter, James, and John. And these were the three that, like if Jesus had 12 friends, these were the three that were really close, right? And we've talked, to, sometimes we talk about relationships here and we say, oh, sometimes a good look at things, or there's a Lego, right? And you only have so many Lego spots for your friends. And some people, you guys know this, some people, you can probably look around your friend group and like, that person is the Lego brick that goes on forever. And my Lego brick has two spots on it. And one of them's taken. I don't know by who, but I just don't want to be, you know, those are our people that are like, I just want one or two really tight people. Well, well you, he couldn't have had all those relationships that were extremely close. So he had three, and three people that he really counted on. And this story is, I think, one of the worst moments in Jesus' life and one of the worst moments in Peter's life. Because it's when Peter denies Jesus. We're going to read. I'll read this. Uh, it's from John chapter 18. And then I'll tell you about it later. One of, awesome. ah, I can't. I have to write my sermons out from here on out because I just try to. I get sidetracked to her. One of my favorite moments in the Bible. One of my favorite little small details that is so throwaway or inconsequential is in here. I'll tell you later. You might catch on. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since the disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. This is right after Jesus has been betrayed. They're moving him along to the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servant and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with him, standing and warming himself. We're going to skip down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself by the charcoal fire. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. Okay, there's two moments in here. Uh, the guy whose ear Peter cut off. This, I, uh, You want your friends to go to bat for you, right? Especially in those moments. Peter pulls out a knife and whoosh, hacks off Malchus's ear. And Jesus is like, this isn't how we roll. So he goes does his Jesus thing, fixes it. That's, that's, the, that's the motion for fixing the ear. And the guy's cousin or brother or somebody else, a relative, is like, wait a minute, I know who this person is. Yeah, he's with him. Uh, he's like, I'm a relative of Malchus, the buddy with the ear. Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Luke's, that's John's account. Luke's account says this. I'll read it for a third time. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembered that the saying of the Lord, before the rooster crows, he'll deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Now in my head, when that plays out, there's, there's Peter and the servant girl and the other people and the charcoal fire. 
And across the way is Jesus. And behind Jesus is the rooster. Peter's talking to the people around him. And no, I don't know the guy. And this wasn't the knife. This wasn't the ear weapon, okay? We're just going to put that aside. I don't know the guy. What would that have been like to look across the fire and see Jesus? Because it says he looks up and turns and saw him. And then the rooster crows. Oh, right? That'd be awful to use the English word. You'd be gutted, right? You would be sick to your stomach. If, if a lot of, Some of you know this. Like, Maybe it's not one of your three closest people, but, but a lot of us somewhere in our lives have been betrayed. Or maybe you know that feeling of things aren't how they were meant to be, like we talked about last week. Or I thought that person had my back. Maybe it's at work and you're like, they're talking about me? Or it's at school and you're like, my roommate said what? Or they didn't stand up for me? And to make eye contact with that person as soon as they do it? Oh, that would be brutal. And so it makes sense why. What does he do? He, He went away and he wept. Because he, there's, there's no denying it. At this moment, Peter is filled with guilt, right? My friend's on trial, and for three times, he even told me I was going to do it. But, but three times I said, I don't know this guy. This isn't my guy. I'm not a part of him. And for, for us, we, have you guys, I, I have never had this moment, Right? <laughs> I've never had this moment where I'm standing there and people are like, well, do you believe in Jesus? And I'm like, no, I I, I don't know what you're talking about. There was a moment once where I was standing on a boat in New York with some people that were pretty, they were older and and wise and advanced in the world, whatever. We were on his sailboat. That sounds super bougie. Forget that part. That's where we were, though. And they were like, oh, what do you want to do with your life? And I'm like 18 and in a different place, and I'm saying, I want to be a youth minister. I want to tell people about Jesus. And they're like, you seem smart. You'll figure it out and do, you'll be a lawyer or something. You'll, you'll be better than that. And I was like, oh, that kind of stings. But I didn't deny him, right? I didn't deny him. I've never been in that moment. I don't think we have to deal with that moment here. Most of us. So you and I can't know what it was like for Peter. But, but you and I know, well, some of us know what, it, what it's like to be guilty. Or what it's like to feel a little bit of guilt. Maybe you were the backstabber, right? Or maybe, well, shoot, this is every Sunday I invite you guys to look in the mirror. It's after the sermon, right before communion. I invite you to look in the mirror and confess your sins. And, and I was, uh, when, we, when we do that, it's not to say this is how bad I am. Or, or I'm a horrible person, or there's no way God could love me. We, we do that as a move of being honest, saying I'm not perfect, but I know who is. And, and there's some people that kind of like minimize that, right? Or in the world, like, you know, everyone's pretty much a good person, right? Or, yeah, you know, that didn't matter. That didn't hurt my feelings. You might say, yeah, they should get over it. 
But if we really want to look in the mirror, or if we want to shape that time before communion, after the, or wherever it falls in the service, one of the things that we're invited to do, I mean, look at yourself in comparison of the Ten Commandments. This is an old Reformation spiritual practice. Look at yourself, and, and I don't care how you number them. There's a bunch of ways to do that, but, but just think about it. You look at the Ten Commandments, and then you look at yourself. Okay, you shall have no other gods. Well, we've all broken that one, but we don't talk about it too often. You shall have no other gods. Check. Okay, done with that. Things have crept into the number one spot when they should have been like a number seven. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Well, I didn't say blankety-blankety-blank, but I've sworn to things I shouldn't have sworn to. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Oh, oh, you guys are good, right? You guys did this today, but, mm. or here's the other one. Barrett, every day is a Sabbath. I have a little bit of Sabbath every day. It's like, oh, but that was, it wasn't made to like bind you. It was made to free you. And I'm guilty of this one. As your pastor, I won't say this. I'm very guilty of this one. I don't check it off. Even on Fridays, I don't check it off all the time. What was that? Three? Four. Honor your father and mother. You've all blown that. I've blown that. That's part of growing up, right? Uh, oh, shoot. I'm getting my order messaged up. <laughs> uh, do not murder, right? If I'm messing it up from here on out, it's kind of blurred together for me. Uh, don't murder. I've never murdered anyone. If you guys need to confess something, let's talk about that after. But Jesus is like, well, I didn't murder. But did you hate somebody? Uh, yeah, there's been those people. Don't commit adultery. Haven't done that one. But have you looked lustfully at someone? Uh, whoops. Don't steal. Ha! I am not a stealer except for that cookie at Village IGA in Tulsa, Oklahoma with a little sandwich cream, right? That was the first time I remember stealing something. I took two instead of one. I don't steal, eh, but I cheat on my taxes a little bit. I don't steal, but I am, have a healthy YouTube subscription at my work. But that's not stealing. Everyone does it. Eh, it's taken from your job. Covet. We're Americans. We do this really well. And we have industries behind it, so we're not going to have to talk about the last two. You and I, like, like I... What I don't, I know all of, like, I know y'all. I know most of us, by any sort of standard, are good people. And for us, as Christians, that's the danger. That's the danger is to be like, I'm okay. I'm all, I'm all right. I don't need to worry about this. Because the danger for us is to think we're all right. And, and I'm not, I do not want to put shame on y'all. But I do want to say, all of us, are in a continual state of being guilty for certain things. Uh, in Mike Newman's book, Hope in Your Heart Breaks, he, he brings out John 8. If you remain connected to God's word, Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Why do I want to bring up that we're all guilty or we all go through times of being guilty? And why do we confess every single Sunday? 
Because when we do that, it's not a, a it's not like a whip that you're whipping yourselves with. When we do that, we're not saying I'm you're not trying to fill your shame cup up. You're saying, no, 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 because shame and guilt are different things. You're, you're saying, I, I've been guilty, right? I don't meet up to the standard. I, all the laws I've broken. But I don't want us to fall into the lie or the trap that makes us feel like, no, but you're okay. You're okay. Because that, that turns into something different. And when we say that we're okay, what we do is we're inviting Jesus to be our buddy. Which he, like, there are moments where it's like, yeah, you and I, if we want to be disciples, like, there are friendship moments. There are moments where, hey, what would it be like to walk with Jesus? To go fishing with Jesus, right? It'd be the best. To go watch a football game with Jesus. I don't want to play him in fantasy, but, you know. But when you make Jesus your buddy and he's never your Lord or your Savior, you, you, you misuse him. You misuse him. Because he is Lord and he is Savior, and yes, he is friend as well. So when we just like, yeah, everything's all right with me, we, we turn him into our buddy. And in a sense, we, we minimize his holiness. And we elevate ourselves. So truth is the, the best part for that. When you're feeling guilty, hope, when, hope when, when, when you're filled with guilt, what comes next? Truth. Truth. If you remain in God's word, you'll know the truth. And what will the truth do? The truth will set you free. In Psalm 32, it says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I didn't cover my iniquity. I didn't look at myself and say, yeah, he's good says, I will confess my transgressions, my sins to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. In Mike's book, he says this, and this, I think, is one of the best things in this book that I've seen so far. It says this, it says, freedom comes from when the humbling risk of truth opens the way to forgiveness. Freedom comes when the humbling risk of truth opens the way to forgiveness. And you and I don't have to, like, when it says a humbling risk, that there, there is a risk there. There is a risk. There's a risk to be truthful with yourself, to look in the mirror and say, this person's not perfect. Your guilt over your sin or the ways you haven't been perfect, it doesn't overwhelm your identity, though. When you were baptized, when you were brought into the family of God, God put a new name on you. And no matter how much guilt you experience, that doesn't throw your name and put it in the trash. What does he do? He says, no, you're my daughter. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're my son. Truth leads to freedom. And the freedom in your baptism or the freedom when you are brought into the family of God is so overwhelming that, that nothing can tear that down. This is how it played out for Peter. This is John 21. After Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. 
Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. This is another moment we could skip over, but this isn't the moment. I'm going fishing. Fishing. In uh, the mid-90s, there was a basketball player um, named Michael Jordan. He's the greatest. I love LeBron. But Jordan's the greatest. Most of you guys did not experience Jordan. I did. Jordan's the greatest. There was a moment due to or other reasons that Jordan decided to go play baseball. Yeah. It went all right, but he wasn't Jordan like Jordan should be. And there was a moment when he, out of the baseball came Michael Jordan. He said, I'm going to play basketball. The baseball thing's not working out anymore. And he did, and he was awesome until he went to the Wizards. Peter, he was a fisherman, right? Probably doing all right. Jesus calls him into ministry. He says, I want you to be a fisher of men. We're going to do all this great stuff. Oh, your confession, what you said, like, where else should I go? You're the, you have the words of eternal life. That, that's the hope and the rock of the church. And Peter, after the resurrection, says, I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go back to that other thing, to the thing that we've done before. Because that's really comfortable. Because he didn't want to risk it. Uh, looking for it. They said to him, we'll go with you, because Peter's the leader, right? They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, this is where Jesus is the buddy, and he's the fun buddy, because he's like ripping on him. He's like, children, have you caught any fish? No, no, you didn't catch any fish. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast them it, and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. <laughs> it's like a cartoon. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Culturally, it works. Just whatever. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net of full fish without Peter because he left. That's not in the scripture. For they were not far from land, about a hundred yards off. When they saw, when they got on the land, they saw our charcoal fire in place. This is my favorite, one of my favorite things in scripture. Think back a couple nights earlier. Peter standing here. Jesus over there. Rooster probably behind Jesus. Peter denies, looks over the place where he's warming and comforting himself, the charcoal fire, and sees Jesus. What's the moment when they get to the beach again? Children, have you caught any fish? No, throw your net on the other side. They get to the shore, and what's there? A charcoal fire. A charcoal fire's there. What do you think Peter was feeling at that time? I don't think this little key element was lost on Peter or John the Evangelist, the one who wrote this. Why a charcoal fire? Because Peter and Jesus had some work that needed to be done together. I look across the fire and see the person I betrayed. 
And then I look across the fire and see the person who's pursuing me. This might be heresy, but I'm going to go for it. Your biggest moment of guilt might be God's biggest moment of glory. Your biggest moment of guilt might be God's biggest moment of glory. What do I want you to do? I don't want you to go sinning and making guilt for yourself. But in your weakness, who's powerful? God's powerful. In your weakness, when, when, you, when you're guilty and you look in the mirror and you see truth and you're like, I'm, I'm not, when you, when you really feel it in your gut, when you're gutted or when you go away and you cry, you know you're not perfect. And there's only one place where there's, there, there's only one place, there's only one person who fills that spot, and that's Jesus. When Peter looks across there, he, he remembers. He remembers the moment he had of I'm, when he walks away bitterly. He knows he's not perfect. When they got to the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it. He didn't need the fish and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was the third time Jesus revealed was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished breakfast, Jesus looked to Simon Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You fill in what the these is. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said to Peter, feed my lambs. He said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Your biggest moment of guilt can be your biggest moment of glory when it, when it is put in front of the cross. Jesus wasn't done with Peter, and he's not done with you. What did Peter do? What did God have for Peter to do? All sorts of things. The bishop of Jerusalem, leading a church, shepherding people, and the message of hope and forgiveness of guilt washed away. Your guilt or your sin doesn't disqualify you from what God has for you. That's a, that's, a, that's a big lie by the enemy. And it's a tactic of the enemy. Your guilt, your sin does not disqualify you. He says, you're my sons and my daughters. And go. I want you to take your phones out again. Seriously, come on, take them out. You're like, no, it's already in my hands. There's the picture in your phone of you in that selfie. And if it was a good one, keep it, right? If it was a bad one, 
keep it. I want it to remind you that you're not perfect. I want it to remind you that you're not perfect, but I want you to take a picture of the next slide and keep it right next to the not perfect one. Because when Jesus brings you back, oh, I'll get out of the way, sorry. Because when Jesus brings you back in, this is what he says to you. He doesn't say Peter, he says you. He says, I forgive you and I love you. You're not disqualified, so keep going. Keep going. Let's pray. Father, remind us so deeply that uh, the identity put on us in our baptism is not disqualified by our, by our actions. That you love us, you call us your daughters and your sons. And because of that, you send us out on mission, and we thank you. We thank you for that. Father, if there's any of us in here that are filled with guilt right now, please uh, let them see the truth, that they're not perfect. And then through your spirit, alleviate that uh, through our next practice and confession. It's your name we pray. Amen.